This call is now being recorded. Yes, it is. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Master Blaster Podcasters. Uh, we got Dirty Mouth here. I am Dylan. Dirty, how you doing? Good. Good dude. Excellent. Excellent. So, a little change in format for everybody out there. We've done a lot of political episodes and... Uh, you know, it still is what it is. There's wars raging. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. So rather than beat a dead horse, we're going to move on to some different subjects here. We are finally going to record a music episode. And what we have today is sort of a battle of the bands of two of our favorites. Well, two of our favorites and two of a lot of people's favorites. If you talk about 80s metal, we've got Ozzy versus Iron Maiden. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through their albums one by one, starting out in 1980. Uh, they do kind of sync up quite a bit as we go through the uh, their discography here. We'll talk about the albums and basically give a judgment uh, which which one we like better, uh, Ozzy versus Iron Maiden. But at the end, we'll give our favorite of the two. Uh, we know that uh, a lot of people out there have some strong opinions. Hopefully, our, our listeners do. Our listeners are all over the place as far as uh, the topics that they like us to discuss. Um, so we're going to start out in 1980 with both of their first albums. Uh, let me see. Let me get my Wikipedia going. And first of all, let me say this. Ozzy's got a little bit of an advantage over Iron Maiden, certainly in the beginning, because oh, he was right. in one of the greatest bands of the 1970s. So he had a head start. He had connections. He had uh, a production team behind them, uh, the Don Arden production team with his daughter, who was uh, Sharon Arden, turned out to be Sharon Osbourne, who we know uh, catap- helped catapult him back to the top and really sacrificed a lot of things along the way as far as some relationships and probably her own um, – her own reputation took a big hit. We're going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk a lot about, certainly about Sharon, how I feel her business practices were, how she treated the band members that I think don't get enough credit through the years. Uh, and then Iron Maiden is Iron Maiden. We're talking about Steve Harris. We're talking about uh, lots of shifting band members through the years that eventually make them what they were by Number of the Beast in 1982 and Peace of Mind in 1983. But we'll go over every album. Uh, up until, you know, we're going to run out of time. We'll probably do up until maybe the early 90s uh, with both of these guys and maybe talk about a few things after that. But the bulk of this material is going to be the albums between 1980 and 1992, which you could say certainly is the uh, the glory time for heavy metal. Uh, so, hey, uh, where do you want to start with this? you want to start uh, Ozzy or Iron Maiden for their first albums? Oh, you start with Ozzy. Uh, I just want to add, like, um, I mean, we're talking about Black Sabbath. I I consider them, like, they. I think they started the whole genre of heavy metal. Um, so he's got, like, the – Ozzy has the advantage because he's in the, the band that basically established, you know, the, the genre. Um, but Maiden, uh, they took it to the – they took it to the next level – and inspired like thrash metal and death metal and all that, but yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear you. It, Ozzy is the godfather of heavy metal. 
Right. When I listened to Iron Maiden, we'll go further into this, I certainly heard Slayer in there. I heard Megadeth in there. Uh, tons of other European metal bands, too. So they, they are a, uh, certainly pioneers of the genre. So to start out, let's go to Blizzard of Oz by Ozzy Osbourne. We're talking about 1980 here. Okay, what's big with this album to start is his beginning band. As we start out here, first thing he did is he went to L.A. instead of England to recruit his guitar player. Uh, we'll go through the rest of the members here as far as where he got them, but he tried out a number of musicians both in 1980 and 1983 to fill the guitar position. Uh, George Lynch, actually, of Dawkins. Was a guy really? that tried out for both. Yeah, he tried out for both of those uh, the slot for both of those years in 1983. He almost he actually did beat out Jakey e. Lee. Some weird uh, blip uh, blurb happened, and um, he actually went to Jakey e. Lee instead of uh, George Lynch. Um, but he actually somehow he got in contact with Dana Strum, who became sort of a talent coordinator for him to try out a bunch of guitar players and he went to LA to try them out and we know that Randy Rhodes won, uh, who was in Quiet Riot. So Randy Rhodes is a guitar player. He's got Bob Day he as soon as he went back to England he happened to run into a guy named Bob Daisley, who had been in Rainbow uh with Richie Blackmore. Yeah and yeah. he yeah, he joined as the bass player. Lee Kerslake was from Uriah Heap. He is the drummer. So both of those guys are older British guys that have established careers behind them um, in some pretty major bands. So you got this young 22-year-old kid, Randy Rhodes, playing with a group of, uh, you know, well-versed uh, guys who have been in the music industry for a lot of years. Um, now, let me ask you something, Dirty. When did you – do you – we'll ask – uh, whether or not we own these albums, when we bought them, when we became, um, you know, aware of the uh, of the, a lot of the songs on the albums. Of course, Blizzard of Oz, we got Crazy Train, who was probably his most famous song. But did yeah. you ever purchase the tape or the record of Blizzard, Blizzard of Oz back in the day? Uh, no, um, I actually I'd only heard about Ozzy for his reputation. Uh, I never really. Got into it. I I got into Ozzy. Uh, I was watching the what's the day? Was that show that used to come on for live entertainment? Glenn Kirshner or no? Um, there was a show on like NBC, uh, and I I happened to just see uh, him performing and like doing his thing, and it, that kind of got me. And then eventually I, I got into it. Um, no, the first album I got was uh, um, Ultimate Sin, and then I went back. So. Mm, okay. Actually, my cousin, uh, I moved from Seattle to Worcester, Massachusetts in 1979 and oh, got wow. introduced to a lot of new music. I had really only heard of, like, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and uh, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, those guys, through my parents. But my cousins were listening to Kiss, which oh, was wow. uh, 1979. They were still huge. Uh, and my cousin really got into... Ozzy Osbourne solo, not even Black Sabbath as much. I think I got into, um, I certainly remember hearing Iron Man and just being like, wow, that's the, what a great, 
heavy song that is, but I'd already heard Ozzy by that point. So Ozzy actually was my introduction point before even Black Sabbath. So, but I got Blizzard of Oz, I think maybe 82 or 83. I didn't get it the year it came out. But let's talk about 1980. Blizzard of Oz comes out. Uh, what do you think of the record? Tell me about uh, some of your favorite songs. What do you like, instruments, members of the band? What do you think of the record? Uh, I like Randy Rhodes. He's pretty good. Um, I, it's like a mixture of things where I, I remember, like, there was a lot of uh, Satanic Panic with heavy metal, and uh, they got Ozzy on uh, Suicide Solution on that song, so I remember hearing a lot of that shit. And then I thought it was kind of, uh, I thought he was kind of wild because he would, he made a, he made a song about Aleister Crowley, Mr. Crowley, that was wild. But then he does a song, Revelation Mother Earth, and I, I believe it was Great about. Song. Huh? Great song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's actually, um, I want to say it's about nuclear annihilation or just the collapse of, the earth and like begging you know to spare us from destruction or something but it was a great it's a great song and um i i just liked it i, I don't know i just liked it i like the sound um the whole album is it's pretty good um i i did i was so young when i first heard this i didn't i had no concept of any of this shit and uh so it's kind of a learning experience as well um into you know metal so yeah, I mean, when I first heard the record, it wasn't, when I was a kid, it wasn't as much about the lyrics. I wasn't getting in depth with the lyrics. It was really how catchy maybe the chorus was, uh, yeah. and just the individual members, how good the guitar was, the drums, and so forth. Now, Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley are more old school musicians. They're not, you know, Lee Kerslake is not Tommy Lee. So, I mean, it didn't give Blizzard of Oz and a complete 80s sound. They had a little bit of like 70s mixed them with right. with the sound here. Now, one thing I thought that was interesting is that there's some very good lyrics. Whether or not it's Revelation Mother Earth is a heavy, deep song. Crazy Train has some great lyrics. So does Mr. Crowley. Um, and I, I remember thinking as time went on how he kept having writing credits, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Songwriting credits for writing the lyrics. And I thought it was weird because, as we know in Black Sabbath, Geezer Butler wrote all of the lyrics. So I remember thinking, like, how is Ozzy, who never wrote really hardly anything for Black Sabbath, writing all of these great songs that are kind of, his vocabulary was good, his understanding of the English language was good, which he didn't seem to have when I heard him talk in interviews. He seemed to right. fumble and stumble all over himself. Yeah. As it turns out, Bob Daisley wrote 95% of the lyrics for all of the Ozzy records, all the way up until No More Tears. Uh, and in fact, on that one, we saw uh, Lemmy make some contributions lyrically. It was never all of Ozzy's lyrics, that's for yeah. sure. Uh, what they would do in a jam session is they would all jam together, and Randy, of course, would usually have his guitar. He was usually writing the music. Him or Bob right. Daisley, they would come up with the rhythm section, and as the song, as they were jamming out the song in rehearsals, Ozzy would sort of um, sing along to the music. He could, he created some of the titles, I know. And he would sort of create these gobbledygook lyrics that didn't end up getting used in the end. But it was the way that he came up with the vocal melodies that helped steer these songs. Uh, um, like the theme? Was, yeah, the theme and 
the uh, the vocal melodies. Yeah. And then, you know, Bob Daisley would fill in the majority of the lyrics. As far as I know, Goodbye to Romance was the first song that was written uh, on this record. And Ozzy wrote a good amount of lyrics to that song, which was kind of a goodbye to Black Sabbath. I mean, Ozzy was thinking at this point, oh. like, you know, hey, I'm never going to be as, as big as Black Sabbath. But we'll, we'll see where we take this. And he's right. a complete, total drunken mess. I mean, he he didn't even show up for the rehearsals for Randy Rhodes. He just sat in a room, wasted off his ass, heard him play one solo and said, you're hired. And Randy wow. was like, you sure you didn't even hear me. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, the production process for these records uh, started with a little bit of thievery, starting with Sharon Osbourne. In fact, the Blizzard of Oz title for this record was supposed to be in the name of the band. They're supposed to be a band. Um, and when you're working with Bob Days and Lee Curse Lake to have the careers that they have, they thought that not, not that they were on equal footing with Ozzy, but that's the way you did it. It wasn't a right. solo project. In, in England, a lot of these guys, they were bands. It wasn't right. called Roger Waters. It was called Pink Floyd. You know, even right. John Lennon, it wasn't called John Lennon. It was called The Beatles until he went solo. Yeah. So that's just the way you did it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, there's a great acoustic piece in there by Randy Rhodes, uh, who was a fantastic classical, classically trained guitar player who was really learned on acoustic first, mm-hmm. which his mom taught him. And D is a great song. I'm trying to see if there's any other songs on this record. I don't know is a classic, of course. I played that live throughout his uh, tenure. No Bone Movies is, is kind of average. Steal Away Tonight is pretty good. And then Suicide Solution, which... Dirty, as you mentioned, uh, he wrote very little lyrics, as I said before, but that beginning line was his. Wine is fine, but whiskey's quicker. Suicide is slow with liquor, uh, which helps get him in trouble with kids. Uh, uh, something about a suicide, and, and they blamed Ozzy for this. Right. Um, all right, so I think we both have a pretty positive uh, review of Blizzard of Oz, the first record in Ozzy's collection. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's pretty good, and, you know, I like it. So. Okay. So let's be ready to turn it over to Iron Maiden for their first record. Yeah. Okay. So Iron Maiden released in 1980, same year as Blizzard of Oz. And let me like see. Like Sorry, but what's that? That's weird. Um, yeah. I thought so, it was Killers. I guess it's – I just – oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Shit. Um, no, go ahead. Start with your review of the record. Uh, it's – see, this is my thing. Um, I, as, as If you compare the two albums, like, I don't think I, – I, I'm not a big fan of, like, their first singer. Um, he's He's decent, but I don't think he goes – I don't think he gels with the band's sound. Um, they were, you know, I was listening to it again, and uh, I just I just don't feel it. And I've always kind of felt that way. Um, I don't know. It, it's okay. It's just I like this. I like Bruce Dickinson better. But, you know, like their sound is definitely, uh, you, you can hear, like, you can hear their influences. You can tell they have a new sound. Um, compared to most bands, especially metal bands, uh, they were, they, they came out the gate like, like, you know, like, I don't know, I dubbed it kind of like the horse galloping style of the, you know, they, they came out with that and, 
Um, I think that's what gave them their notoriety is just that solid rhythm and you feel like you're you're at sea or you're in the middle of the desert and you're riding a horse and you're like ready for adventure. Like they're just the most, they're like the most swashbuckling heavy metal band ever. Just great. I love <laughs> that's, it. A, that's a good term, swashbuckling. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's an amateur. It's a, it totally sounds like a garage record to me. This is a far cry from what they would end up recording years later. Paul Diano, I agree. He's not, He's no Bruce Dickinson, in fact. No. But not only that, but they had a guitar player, uh, Dennis Stratton, which I prefer Dave Murray and Adrian Smith yeah. time over, over this guy. They eventually replaced the drummer, too. The first record is really, you know, I, I look at Iron Maiden as a prog metal band. Musically, they were more sophisticated than a lot of other bands. Technically, they were right. more sophisticated. Steve Harris is the leader. He's doing a lot of this, like, sort of giddy-up, like, din 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 as you're talking about with right. the riffs, which, you know, eventually Adrian Smith comes in, Bruce Dickinson, they become major songwriters, and which was great about that is it counteracts Steve Harrison's giddy-up riffs and his eventual prog metal 10-, 12-minute songs that he's doing yeah. around in the recordings. Um, if I could point out one track, I mean, I, I know that, some bands were huge fans of this record. I got in dirty. This first Iron Maiden album is is rudimentary as it was. Got to number four in the UK charts. Yeah, Wizard of Oz only got to number seven. I mean, they were killing right. it in the, in the United Kingdom. And this is one one thing that's weird. There's a huge push for Iron Maiden to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In fact, Gene Simmons said it was disgusting that they're not in. A Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should be ashamed of themselves. Iron Maiden is huge, much bigger in England and Europe than they are in America. Oh, yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy is biggest in America. So here we think Ozzy is bigger. But really, if we're going to track this. I'm going to go over the record sales and the certifications and uh, chart where they fall on the charts. In England, Iron Maiden beats Ozzy pretty much every record. Right. Even though this first record, I, I really don't get it because it, it is the most garage-sounding record not that people would listen to it, but that without, I don't know how much uh, promotion they did for it, but the fact that it shot right out of the gate and was a top five record in England to me is kind of astonishing. And it's, it's a success story. But I don't think it's a very good record. I think the, really the only song that I hear that gives me a glimpse of the future of Iron Maiden as far as where they're going is Transylvania. It's an instrumental track. It's the first track on the second side. A lot of Maiden fans will point to Genghis Khan as their best instrumental. I think Transylvania kicks ass. It's sophisticated. It's some great riffs. It's fast. It's heavy. But the reason why I'm saying that this first record isn't as good, partly because of the material, but they're playing on uh, – it just sounds like the production, the recording, the mix, and the instruments they're using are inferior to what they started using later on. I mean – right. I mean, I listen to this, I think of, like, uh, duct tape on a bass drum. I think of, like, yeah. a broken neck of a guitar that's taped together. I mean, that's just the way it sounds when, it, when I hear it. And it yeah. sounds like a, a band that's trying to play sophisticated prog metal that yeah. can't get that sound yet because they they have inferior equipment, they have inferior recording devices or techniques. And it's just it's something that gives a glimpse towards the future, but to me this is a an inferior 
Iron Maiden record. So let's give a, a, an advantage at this point. In 1980, I think there's an obvious obvious advantage to Ozzy over Iron Maiden at this point. So I'll give Ozzy the advantage of Blizzard of Oz. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, Ozzy. Uh, I think uh, Blizzard of Oz is way better. Um, you know, I mean, it's just both. Like the first two, uh, Ozzy's first two albums are really good. Uh, and But Iron Maiden's first two albums, it's like, I just don't think they're hitting. They 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 hadn't gotten to their 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 metal like peak. They didn't come into their own yet. I guess you would say. But yeah, they tried. Period. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, guys. I I kind of have a cold here as I'm talking. I realize my voice is is not what it usually is. But uh, this will still be a great episode. So let's yeah. move on to the uh, second record for both of these guys. We'll start with Ozzy. We've got. Diary of a Madman. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think? Diary of a Madman. Uh, good album. Um, it's kind of just reminds me of the first album, uh, which isn't bad. It's the, you know, the same, uh, same style, kind of same sound. Um, but I didn't realize that, like, the lineup was different. And then you reminded me. Um, and it's funny. You could see, like, he just got a holy, Except for Randy Rhodes, he got a whole new band, I think. Um, and but they managed to, you know, just they managed to hold it, and it was it's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, I think this is. I'm going to go for a little bit on this on this record on Diary of a Madman, and and Dirty, I'll let you go a little further, maybe on Power Slave and some of your favorite uh, Maiden recordings. But I got a lot to say about this one. This to me is the best recording of either Iron Maiden or Ozzy. This is the seminal recording. One of the greatest heavy metal records of all time, Diary of a Madman. It's when Randy Rhodes really hits his peak. He's got that eerie sort of, if you think about old school classical music, lots of minor chords, lots of dissonance, uh, Mm -hmm. sort of an eerie tone to it. This is where he hits his peak with his guitar riffs. This is not as commercial a record as, as Blizzard of Oz. There's no crazy train on it. But song for song, this is the best record that Ozzy ever did, and I think it's better than anything that Iron Maiden ever did. Uh, you talk about one of the greatest guitar players of all time. By the yeah. way, one thing I want to mention, I've been pining for years about how we're talking about how Iron Maiden, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame snub. Ozzy is in with Black Sabbath, obviously, but not with Ozzy, not his solo. In 2021, yeah. Randy Rhodes was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame individually as a guitar player. That oh, wow. is incredible. Yeah, that is an incredible. The only guys that I know that have, have done that are like some of the blues guitar greats. So just to be a guitarist, to have the guitarist be in, it's just it's kind of like with Billy Joel being like, hey, Billy Joel's not in. No, he's not, but his drummer is in the right. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That hardly ever happens. Yeah, um, yeah. Wow. So, I just think it's it's important to this is an important album when we talk about Randy Rhodes' greatness. Uh whether or not it's um Diary of a Madman, the title song, the last song, mm-hmm. it was uh, it's, it's so fun to play too. It's it's a an absolute classical uh genius uh song. It it's a gem, an absolute gem. Uh it's so complicated, it's so um, it, it's 
the perfection, the perfect combination of classical and metal together, which I think is a great combination. Yeah. Song for song, you go through this over the mountain, great drum intro. Uh, and by the way, he did still have his original band. Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley were still the band for this. Now, he okay. fired them right after the recording of the band before the tour, and Tommy Aldridge, oh. uh, later of Whitesnake fame, uh, joined. And Rudy Sarzo, who, of course, would be of uh, Quiet Riot fame, Randy Rhodes brought him in. That right. was for the tour. Um, and Ozzy, actually, I guess Sharon is the one that fired um, Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley. Because they, they never got over the fact that the band was called Ozzy instead of Blizzard of Oz. They looked at this as Bob, Bob Daisley's writing all the lyrics. Right. Uh, Lee right. Kerslake is, is writing some songs, too. He's actually writing more. There's, he wrote No Bone Movies off the last record. So these guys are putting in as much uh, production as Ozzy Osbourne, not as much as Randy. But, you know, this is when Sharon Osbourne. Osborne started to take on her father's persona and becoming a musical bully, really. And and some of the stories we're going to say going forward are really kind of disgusting. But she kicked them yeah. out. Randy Rhodes wanted to leave. At this point, Randy is very uh, unhappy in Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, he says that he wants to leave after the next tour, uh, after he kicked out the two guys. In fact, if Randy Rhodes had lived, he would not have been an Ozzy. It is a yeah. foregone it is a fact that he was going to leave the band. Hmm. Now, this record, though, Over the Mountain, every song, I'm going to go Over the Mountain, great song, great drum intro, great lyrics, uh, kind of uh, psychedelic lyrics a little bit about flying on a magic carpet and all these kind of things. Uh, flying High Again, uh, and I don't even need to look at Wikipedia to know these songs. Flying High Again, mm -hmm. great song. Uh, song basically about being crazy. So, Bob yeah. Daisley had Ozzy down when he was writing lyrics about what Ozzy would say. It's almost like he took on his persona as he was writing these lyrics. You Can't Kill Rock and Roll, unbelievable acoustic guitar riff to start, which was a little bit lifted from Ace Fraley. Um, the song, uh, what is that song? Fractured, off of his solo record, which is a, a classic. Anybody that loves Kiss or loves Ace Fraley knows that that's uh, one of his uh, shining songs as far as uh, an instrumental. It's a great song. It's a little bit lifted from that, but he takes it a little bit further and extends out the chords and is a little bit more technically sound than Ace Fraley. In fact, that same riff, if you listen to that riff, there's a lot of songs that I know that have that that chord progression. And in fact, I caught Iron Maiden kind of ripping off a little bit in one of their songs, maybe off of Power Slave or something like that. Um after that was the song Believer, one of the greatest. Uh, I love the bass intro, just this thump bass intro into it. I think the lyrics for these songs are a big improvement from, or an improvement, we'll say, from Blizzard of Oz. Um, Believer, one of my favorite Ozzy songs. And when I get into Ozzy, what I love about this record is it's not about the singles. It's all of the filler material. Right. Now, Blizzard of Oz, some of the material, filler material, No Bone Movies, Steal Away the Night are good, but not great. The filler material in this record is incredible. Song for song, Little Dolls is maybe my favorite Aussie song to this day. And it has this fantastic drum intro, this drum solo by Lee Kerslake. If you think, if you listen back to Uriah Heap and say, boy, this drummer isn't that great, I'm with you, but he's great here. Um, and it's 
nothing but these magnificent chord changes by Randy Rhodes going between these heavy riffs to these classical sort of slow down melodic riffs. Incredible soloing. Um, tonight, another great song. SATO is another one of my favorites. A fantastic song to play guitar wise. And it ends with Diary of a Madman. Ozzy has said, if he ever made a Sgt. Pepper, this is it. This is his best record. Right. Um, and it to me is, uh, I think it ended up maybe number 18 in Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest uh, heavy metal albums of all time. I don't, it was behind Blizzard of Oz, which I don't agree with, and Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of Aussie fans love Diary of a Madman. This is, the irony is, is that he was never as much of a drunken, disgusting mess as he was during this period, during the recording, and during the tour. In fact, another reason why Randy wanted to leave was that um, a lot of times Ozzy just wouldn't be able to play a show. He would play a show, he would party afterwards. The next show, he just couldn't do it because he was down and out, and they canceled maybe half the dates on the tour. Um, so, you know, that that that's just basically who he is, which is that he's a an absolute. Uh, I understand he needed Sharon to get him back on track, but um, he is really a kind of a drunken mess. I think he's kind of lucky that he ended up number one living, and number two actually continuing continuing music at all. But this is a masterpiece. Um, obviously, for me, I'm giving an advantage of, of Ozzy before I even get into Killers by Iron Maiden. So, anyway. Right. Any last words about Diary of a Madman before we get into Iron Maiden? Uh, it, I agree. It's a, it's like a continuation for me. I, um, uh, I just, I, to me, I, you know, I find them very similar. So, uh, like I said, it's just a continuation. It's like a part two. Um, it's just great. Very metal though. Like the, a lot of the riffs, a lot of the, you can hear in, you listen on, you know, any bands from the 80s and 90s with the the I don't know what you call it, the the double picking the, 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 you know that shit um, Randy Rose definitely like definitely started it um, I think he's one of the forefathers of metal guitar especially thrash thrash metal um, yeah so anyway just good stuff absolutely okay so let's move on to the second Iron Maiden record also released in 1981, which is Killers. Uh, there is a lineup change here for Iron Maiden, and it is the introduction of Adrian Smith, guitar player Adrian Smith, who joins. And, uh, Jerry, tell me what you think when you, when you hear Killers. Do you like it? Good? No good? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of like this one either. It's okay. Uh, I have to say the saddest thing is, um, like, they, I don't know. All the songs, they're kind of, they're okay. Uh, like I said, I'm not a big Paul, Paul Diano, uh, fan. Um, but I think, you know, like they, you can hear, um, you know, I was listening to it and you, you can hear some punk rock in it. Uh, and then, uh, like you mentioned, Kiss and, uh, I heard the, the double guitars sound, um, in there. So, you know, I heard some Kiss, um, the album cover, I hate to say it, is like my favorite part of the album. Uh, one of my favorite album covers and art, uh, album art ever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's okay. It's not, like I said, it's not one of my favorites, but it's, it's okay. Yeah. That's a great point about the album cover. I think at this time, I mean, I was, I don't know, seven when this came out. I probably didn't know about Iron Maiden until 
more like peace of mind, period. But right. one thing that was heavy about the fans of Iron Maiden is I used to see lots of back patches on jackets or on yeah. hats. And it was always the Eddie, um, you know, visual. Uh, that's that's their logo. Uh, right. or their centerpiece for their art. Fantastic. I mean, I agree. Killers, what a great album cover. Um, I, I think of, a, as far as a reputation preceding them, just seeing Iron Maiden in the picture of, of Eddie, kind of right away, you can tell what kind of band this is. You know, yeah. it definitely is a precursor to what their sound is going to be. I, I can hear an improvement between the two albums, between the first one and the second one. It's not at Number of the Beast territory for sure, but it's definitely an improvement over the first one. I can hear uh, improvements in the guitar playing. Uh, I think the double guitars definitely get better in this record. Uh, right away, in fact, the first couple of songs, Eyes of March, Rap Child, Murders in the Rue Morgue, right there, those songs are um, not the greatest Iron Maiden songs, but certainly an improvement over Running Free, um, and um, uh, songs off the first album. Um, I guess that's that's pretty much it. I do like Genghis Khan, but they're going in the right direction here. They're improving. Uh, they're getting better. And this album definitely, if I was listening to Iron Maiden at the time, I would say, okay, let's see what their next album is like if they're getting better here. So um, yeah. I don't have too much more to say about this record. We'll have more to talk about with Iron Maiden going into their bigger records, but you know, I definitely give the advantage to Ozzy with Dire of Madman versus Killers. What do you think? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I can listen oh. to the. I can listen to both albums. Uh, I can listen to more, more of the albums than the Iron Maiden ones. It's kind of hit or miss. So. Gotcha. Okay. So let's move on to uh, the next record from Ozzy, which is a live record. It's a different record. It's not. Um, a studio LP of new material. In fact, the band hated the fact that the next record, which is Speak of the Devil, with Ozzy with this classic cover, him <laughs> spinning up like strawberry jelly or something like that, making it look like right. Guff, uh, with the fangs, and he's sitting on a throne. Um, this, of course, is after Randy Rhodes died, which was in March of 1982. He died in a plane crash. Uh, no more Randy Rhodes, unfortunately. Um, there was another tryout, of course, guitar players. Brad Gillis, actually, of Night Ranger uh, fame, is the one who plays guitar in this record. It's all Black Sabbath covers. It's all, yeah. covers, it's all Black Sabbath songs. They don't have to be covers. It's his, you know, it's his music. It's Ozzy's music. But he was getting kind of petty at this point because... Uh, there's a competition, of course, uh, Dirty, you know, Dio joined Black Sabbath. There's really no competition between Black Sabbath and Ozzy except for the Dio years. So Dio joins right. Black Sabbath. Um, they're doing really well, continuing with him, the first two records. Uh, in 1982, they released Live Evil. Black classic. Sabbath did. Classic. So classic. Ozzy heard this. He's like, oh, I've got to release a live album because I know it'll outsell theirs because he's selling a little bit better than Black Sabbath at this point. It's, it's close, but he kind of takes the cigar as far as in America, records sold. In England, the Black Sabbath records sold better live evil. In America, Speak of the Devil went to number 14 on the charts and sold 2 million records. 
So a, a platinum album. And you know what Ozzy did? He basically, the whole band, um, went to the Ritz. They performed at the Ritz. He was so drunk and out of his mind. He didn't go to any of the rehearsals. He didn't rehearse with a, a brand new band. This is Rudy Sarzo. I mean, Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge were on the tour for Diary of a Mad Lip. They hadn't re- jammed out any Black Sabbath songs at all. Brand right. new guitar player. So what does he do? He doesn't go to any of the rehearsals. He doesn't go to any practices. And they just do it live at the Ritz. And they had to do, I guess, some pulse recording uh, changes to some of the songs. And he was so out of his mind, drunk and, and whatever else he was on, that he had to have a stand with a light in front of him so that he could read the lyrics as he's singing them because he forgot a lot of the Sabbath lyrics. Coincidentally, yeah. which he didn't write, of course. Coincidentally, he didn't write right. the lyrics. Maybe he would have remembered them if he wrote them, but he didn't. So anyway, speak of the devil, I did get the record. It, it is good. I do like it. It is, uh, you know, Brad Gillis is outrageous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is, I know Night Ranger is kind of a cheesy 80s, you know, I wouldn't even call them hard rock. They're just kind of a rock band right. uh, with some good songs. But, man, Brad Gillis is out of this world. And the solos. He, yeah. yeah. Go He's ahead. He's pretty metal. He's pretty metal on that album. Um, that I, I remember I got that album. And I, I, I didn't know at the time those were, like, Sabbath songs. Um, I didn't quite get into Sabbath yet. Uh, but, yeah, it was. it's nothing compared to Live Evil. Um, I got into... It's funny because I got into Black Sabbath because I bought Live Evil first. Uh, I had heard Paranoid, but I bought Live Evil and I got into that first. And uh, I it was I thought I thought Dia was way scarier and uh, more you know just a better singer and like performer. He's way more professional and all that. And uh, and he's little, you know, so he's just doing his thing. And uh, but yeah, all this shit was. The lyrics are great, and uh, it's just it's just sad Ozzy um, did that. But you know, he's a his whole story is pretty it's pretty pretty sad, you know. But um, but yeah, yeah. Speak of the Devil is a good, surprisingly good sounding live album. Um, what's the uh, Never Say Die? I think is on it, and uh, but yeah, it's just uh, and I noticed that's kind of a a cliche thing that Ozzy does is, or maybe it's a lot of bands. That, with the like live albums and um I, I just I don't know. I just I'm not a big fan of live albums unless they do something like totally different. But yeah, a good album, uh good good guitar. Ozzy's just lucky. I think he's one of the luckiest people in the yeah. in the history of rock and roll, like insane. I totally agree. I mean as far as uh, I do think he's a great singer. I do think his voice is is great. I think his melodies are great. Right. Uh, one of the best singers in heavy metal, but yeah. you know, was another disgust. He's he really is disgusting. I mean, he's lucky yeah. to be alive. Um, right. And boy, did Sharon squeeze every bit of juice that she could out of any Black Sabbath connection, out of any of the musicians that he worked with. Um, right. It gets worse. But another disgusting thing is what he did. Um, he was such an alcoholic at Speak of the Devil that he had he couldn't go through the whole concert without people bringing him drinks what he had is he had this guy that would bring him drinks up to the up to the stage there and it was a a little uh a dwarf it was actually a dwarf that was running and and giving giving him drinks and of course what is what does he name the dwarf ronnie wow in front of ronnie james deal 
he's made all kinds of comments about with Dio and Tony Iommi and when they had uh, Black Sabbath had the drummer who was uh, Italian also. He called him three wops and a, and a something. Wow. Like, he's, he's, he really is a kind of a piece of crap. I, I don't know how else to say it. Sorry. He is. No, Ozzy is. Ozzy's very lucky, and, uh, I mean, I was saving this shit for later, but, I mean, so I, I saw this uh, interview with Dio, and he's talking about how he had to stick up with one of his band members because Ozzy was talking shit, saying that he was gay, and saying it in a derogatory way, and Dio's like, right. I don't care if you're gay or whatever, but you don't sit there and talk shit. And, like, if for Dio, he's like, He's this little guy, but he's like, I don't give a fuck, man. Fuck Ozzy. Like, and, you know, because he, he knows he's better and he's got it more together. Uh, but it's like, you know, it's just, it's that, yeah, I mean, Ozzy's just, he's just gross. I mean, I mean, we, we, we can, we can do a whole episode on him, uh, collecting Nazi shit and, um, just the psychotic shit he did that you can see on his, uh, behind the musics where, you know, he threatens the life of Sharon when he's all drunk after he fucked some groupie chick in, in Japan, I think. And, like, he's just fucking – he's like I say, he's one of the most luckiest motherfuckers in music uh, to carry on uh, aside from, like, you know, Elvis. But, yeah, mm -hmm. he's just fucked up. Yeah, Dio, much more professional, much a much more likable guy. When you see him in interviews, I mean – and he stays above it too. I mean, he'll he'll tell you what he thinks of Ozzy, but he's not going to call him names, and he's not going to belittle his his ancestry or his heritage. Or he can stick to the facts and say, "I think he's a yeah. drunken slob," and I think he's not. You know, he doesn't show up for every concert. He he sticks to the facts rather than having to make fun of his body type or yeah. anything else like that. So um, yeah, Dio respectable. And you know what? You know the irony is. You know what's horrible? Dio died 15 years ago, and Ozzy is still <laughs> Ozzy is still kicking it. So. Um, all right, yeah, so let's move Parkinson's. on. He's got Parkinson's, but yeah, let's go on. Yeah, I'm not. He's not exactly living well these days, but um, he is still around. So, speak of the devil, uh, kind of a, I, I don't know. I, I guess comparatively, I'd probably give it a little bit of a thumbs down. But let's let's get into Iron Maiden 1982. This is this is it. This is where yeah. the greatness starts. Dirty, lead us into Number of the Beast. Classic. Um, so this album was their controversial album because of the, you know, 666, the number of the beast, the, uh, the cover where it's like the devil and then Eddie, um, you know, just satanic panic all over the place. They were, they were lumped in with Judas Priest and Ozzy and ACDC and, you know, everybody. And uh, this is it though. This is like Bruce Dickinson's first album. And this is where I think they, this sets the standard for like quote unquote heavy metal. Um, you know, big drums, their stage show is fucking amazing. The whole having a, you know, a mascot. Um, but you know, aside from the visuals and all that, um, the music, just fucking classic. Also, uh, uh, you know, Invaders is a good song, Children of Jams, but, um, Run to the Hills is a fucking classic song. Uh, and, they break it down where uh it's actually they're talking about like some pretty deep material um you know some sometimes the heavy metal bands they just go overboard with like silly shit but maiden actually did something that you know somewhat intelligent 
Um, and I, I know Bruce Dickinson. I've heard him in interviews. He's actually a pretty intelligent guy. He had a, I think he's got a radio show or he used to on BBC, BBC One. And, um, he actually interviewed Carrie King, the Slayer. Um, and they just had a really intelligent conversation about like, you know, uh, Americans awareness of, of society and all that shit. But, uh, uh, no, good album. Um, you know, I think this, this sparked their, their success because it just continued at least in the eighties from what I remember, like they toured all the fucking time, like, like lived in their buses, um, you know, and, and, but this album is it with the fucking, the double picking Steve, Steve Harris is an amazing bass player, does everything with his fingers, no pick, um, just solid fucking, uh, you know, I don't know how to explain it, man. It just, it's, it works for them. Like they're just, fucking classic they're they're there you know like they're the second generation you know after sabbath I, for me it's it's like fucking it's maiden there's nothing like them you know definitely the way that randy rose is in the upper pantheon and i think jake lee too of guitar players steve harris yeah. it, if you talk about the greatest bass bass players you could say of all time no matter what the, the music genre is but right Talk about hard rock metal. I mean, there's like Flea from the Chili Peppers, um, Geddy Lee from Rush. Uh, there's some other great slap bass players or just very, um, uh, you know, very technically accomplished bass players. Steve Harris is it. I mean, as far as bass, he is right. way at the top. Um, that's why the first record, it seemed like you had Steve Harris and everybody else. Right. Yeah, I mean, the first, when the beginning of the band, it's like, I can understand why he started changing members of the band because the beginning guys weren't up to his standards. They weren't up to his, you know, they weren't on the same level as him. This is the first record uh, that we see some songs to besides Steve Harris who wrote everything. I mean, he wrote, uh, I think, everything on the first two records except for an, a song or two that Paul Giano wrote, wrote the lyrics, but... Uh, he wrote Run to the Hills, but to highlight a few of the songs, like Adrian Smith had a great rapport with Adrian Dickinson as far as songwriting. And I, and I said this before about how I love the, the counteraction of Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson versus, uh, Steve Harris. There's a decide, there's a big difference between the songs that these guys produce. Right. You know, Harris gets into the, his prog metal stuff. Like I said, Run to the Hills is a, a short three minute, uh, so he can also do that kind of stuff too, but it's again, it's a lot of like, Adrian Smith is more of a classic, love it. Adrian Smith is more of a classic heavy metal guitar player, um, who would change the sound through the years and really help shape another portion of Iron Maiden's sound. And on this record, for Steve Harris, I mean, Children of the Dams, very good song. Uh, Number of the Beast, great classic guitar riff, great lyrics, great heavy metal. Like, it personifies metal. And the beginning howl by Bruce Dickinson in that song is, it can be compared with, say, like, Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who, or just one of the greatest, yeah, just one of the greatest. Yeah. You can tell the difference right away with those two singers. You're like, okay, they're taking it to a new level with this guy singing versus the old guy. who wasn't bad. I don't think Paul Diano was bad. I think he could sing. But, you know, I think Bruce Dickinson is, is much better. Right. He, um, he actually said that I saw this uh VH1 uh like album like they discussed each you know hit album and 
was this um uh, Bruce Dickinson was just like, yeah, I'm I'm way better than that guy, and I'm gonna bring it, and he did it. And usually I'm not a big guy on, I'm not a big person on egos, but he yeah. was right, man, and and it changed the dynamic and made Iron Maiden who they are, you know. It did. He is not humble. Bruce Dickinson is not humble. Um, he has a reputation of being a big. In fact, before we let go of the episode, we need to talk about a feud that erupted between Iron Maiden and Ozzy Osbourne at one of the Ozfests oh. um, that we've talked about before. But, yeah, Bruce Dickinson, is he has a reputation of being uh, a, a big ego guy. And, you know, mm-hmm. big. he's got a lot of confidence, but... He, um, if you remember the Will Ferrell skit on SNL, the um, the, the cowbell skit. Now, the producer of that was Blue Oyster Cult. They're portraying Blue Oyster right. Cult. The producer's name was Bruce Dickinson. That right. uh, who was it? Christopher Walken comes in and says, "I'm yes, I'm the Bruce Dickinson, right. and I, I'm just, he's, I'm just like everyone else, except when I put on my pants, I make gold records." So obviously, I mean, who knows the connection between Will Ferrell, who did write that skit, knowing that Bruce Dickinson was an egomaniac, but it got around. Um, and eventually, him and Steve Harris would butt heads. Um, but yeah, Number of the Beasts, I don't know what else I can say about it. It's, it's, um, I do think they even get better from here, though. I mean, I, I do think right. it, it can still improve. There's room for improvement. Clyde Burr is a good drummer. I like his playing on, Run to the hills, but he's too. As, as being a now, Dirty and I have played music before. We played in bands before. I played drums, guitar, a little bit of bass, a little bit of piano. Um, Clyde Bar is too heavy on the hi hat for me, and not only on the hi hat, but an open hi hat. You can adjust your hi hat for how much, how much noise. He's too noisy with his hi hat. He doesn't do enough of the ride. Uh, the next guy, Nico McBrain, is going to be more of a ride, ting, ting, ting guy, which makes less of a disturbance to the rest of the music. And I think Clive, Clive Burr, rest in peace, is is a good drummer, but I think that it gets better on the next record. But Okay, anything else to say before we uh, move on to the next record? By the way, obviously, advantage to Iron Maiden with Number of the Beast versus Speak of the Devil. Dirty, what do you think? Uh... I mean, yeah, it's, it blows Speak of the Devil out of the water, um, yeah. and it's just tight. Uh, Speak of the Devil is just, just genuine. So, yeah, Number of the Beast, way better. Absolutely. Uh, so that's the first advantage for Iron Maiden. Let's move on to – technically, we're moving on by year. 1983 is the next year. So let me start with Ozzy. Let's go back oh. to Ozzy, nineteen eighty. Three. Now, for Ozzy, yeah, Bark at the Moon, we're actually going to, with Ozzy, have to combine, Bark at the Moon came out at the end of 1983, so we're going to combine 1983, 1984 with Bark at the Moon, and yeah. obviously Maiden's going to have, Maiden, my, my God, they go from Iron Maiden, Killers, Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Straight and Power Slave, five years, five right. albums. And we'll yeah. talk about how exhausted they were after the Power Slave tour, one of the biggest tours of the decade. Right. Uh, so, Bark at the Moon, to start out for me with Bark at the Moon, I think that it's it's kind of a gloomy album, which is probably part of the uh, what they're trying to do. I really like a lot of the material of this record. I hate the mix. Uh, it's like the synthesizers and the voice is out front, and the guitars and right. the rhythm section is behind all that stuff. Uh, the mix is absolutely horrible. 
Uh, too much synthesizer in this record. Um, having said that, Barkham is the introduction of Jakey e. Lee, of course, from, from Rats, uh, who again beat out George Lynch and a few other oh, guys wow. uh, for for this coveted spot in Ozzy's band. Right. Uh, disgusting thing. Let me before I get into the songs. Disgusting thing that Sharon Osbourne did. Uh, Jakey e. Lee comes in. He was a young kid. Uh, right. Had not um, copyrighted any of his material, so he comes uh, in. He late. didn't know. No, he didn't know. He didn't have any representation. He was never with a band that used a lawyer. So he basically comes in. Now, Randy Rhodes had his mom, who knew a lot about music, and she kind of represented him, and, and he copyrighted his music before he presented it to Ozzy. What Jakey Lee did is he went in there and laid down all the tracks, and, and Sharon said, hey, sign up this, uh, this is a band form. All the bandmates have to sign it. He goes, what is it? She goes, well, it just says that we now that you've laid down your music and that it's not copyrighted, we own it. And he's like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, you either sign this or we fire you. We steal all of your music, and we have a different guitar player come in and just copy it. And then that guy will, will get the credit and we'll go on tour uh, with him. So Jakey e. Lee signed away all of his royalty rights for Bark at the Moon uh, because of – I don't want to start calling Sharon a bunch of names, but this is kind of a – it's as shady as it gets to take advantage of, of young musicians who are – putting so much into your, and basically, this is another thing, he came back and, co- and got it uh, copyrighted for The Ultimate Sin, so you know what they did? Anytime they stopped issuing The Ultimate Sin as a record, eventually they stopped pressing copies of that, so you couldn't wow. purchase it anymore. Now, it doesn't matter because I know everything is streamed these days, but they stopped the production of The Ultimate Sin because they wanted to highlight the records that Ozzy would get a bigger percentage of the royalties from, yeah, which is Park yeah. of the Moon. If you look at Bark at the Moon, the back of it says, all music, this is laughable. First of all, he didn't even write the majority of the lyrics. All music right. and lyrics by Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, this, is to me why, this is to me what has kept Ozzy from being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because when you have that kind of a business practice, when you're that shady, people don't want to give you credit. And, and right. decidedly so, because that's, that's and I know the whole business term is that Pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Well, Sharon Osbourne has not gotten slaughtered yet. Neither is Ozzy. So, I mean, I don't know how much I believe in that in that saying anymore. But anyway, getting into yeah. the music, Bark at the Moon, killer song. Great guitar riff. Some great, I love the uh, the drowning effect that Jakey Lee has on his Jackson guitar. Uh, recording this, uh, I forget the name, what the name of that effect is. No but whammy uh, bar. No whammy bar. Like, the dude is straight up just... Like rhythm and um, like solid too. That's one of the reasons. Like I think he's he's also up there. Um, this album was uh, was interesting for me because it was like the first time I saw a video of Ozzy's uh, with Bark at the Moon, and um, like I said, he was still you know all the hype around was that he was just a a uh, crazy, you know, heavy metal madman, and um, but I, you know, you hear this and it's like, it's pretty good. And um, I had a, t- I got a T-shirt from my friend's big brother, and it said uh, Ozzy for president. So you, you remember that came out like 1983, 84, uh, and it was funny. Uh, but um, yeah, and you know, they, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it was like I think it was more. He got more notoriety for this album because of the werewolf shit. Uh, and then he shaved his head 
And back in the 80s, that was like a big thing, a big sacrilege because, you know, everybody had long moppy hair and, you know, or whatever. But, uh, you know, he, they talked more about his shaving his head and the tattoos and all. But, uh, no, I, I thought it was it was okay. You know, I thought it was, uh, I'd say Rock and Roll Rebel is my favorite song on it, um, period. Uh, I just thought it was great. Solid riffs, good lyrics, so. Yeah, I think the lyrically, there's some good stuff going on. Bark at the Moon, I love the lyrics to Bark at the Moon. It's, it's far, if you're talking about a werewolf song, that's about as cool as it gets as far as lyrics about rising right. from a grave and miracles to have to save. And um, the way that they, Bob Daisley does the lines with the words is, is he kind of a genius, Bob Daisley. Um, yeah. Other than that, though, I think there's some good. I think You're No Different, the second song, is fantastic. It's got a very, it's not even defined guitar riff by Jakey Lee. He's coming in with effects and just individual notes. It's like a eerie echo guitar song, which has this really cool feel. The guitar, the keyboards actually work in that song. That's one song where this whole album has like a fan of the Phantom of the Opera old yeah. 19th century English feel to it um, with Dr. I don't know. I just I hear the record. I picture the Wolfman, Dr. Hyde, uh, Jack the Ripper, all that stuff rolled into one on a record. Rock and Roll Rebel, great, very good song. Um, You're No Different, I think it's very good. I think that Now You See It, Now You Don't is a very good song, except it's drowned out in these keyboards, and it's got a horrible the chorus. The way that Ozzy sings the chorus is really weird. Um, I think that Waiting for Darkness is an absolute classic Aussie huh. song. I mean, just uh, I played it for you before. We were listening to it. I never forget. It was like 15 years ago. It was yeah. when I was living with A&A. And you came over and we were listening to this. And you're like, ah, I don't like this record. And then right. Waiting for Darkness came on. You're like, now this I like. It's got this great, like this really keen guitar intro to it. Very great, great melodies from Aussie on that uh so Tired is a song that a lot of Aussie fans didn't like because it's softer. It's got a little bit of uh, symphony behind it. It's catchy, but it's not – I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to hear it live. If, if I went to see Ozzy on this tour, that's not one of the songs I'd, I'd want to hear. I like Center of Eternity. I think that's a, a good kind of a weird, like, spacey – it's got like a Buck Rogers feel to it or something like that, or I, it's hard to – Define, but all in all, this is a kind of a weird, dark record that could have been better based off of production values. But we love the introduction of Jakey Lee. Also, um, Rudy Sarzo had left. Metal Health came out from Quiet Riot around this time. Oh, wow. uh, Tommy Aldridge did still play on the record as drums, even though it's credited to Carmine Apiece. Carmine Apiece oh. came along just for the tour afterwards. He obviously did this a lot. Like, if somebody was with the recording of the album, which got him in trouble, they got sued a few times for this. If somebody came along for the album, he would credit the guy. Like, if you left after the album before the tour, wow. he would credit the guy that was on tour as playing on the record rather than the guy who actually played in the studio, which is Jeez. fucking backwards. I mean, I, who does that? You know, right. it's, uh, I don't know if that's him or Sharon or whatever, but together they form a, a really... I think you say this, a real disgusting pair. All right, so um, 
any let's look, anything else to say about Bark in the Moon before we move on to Iron Maiden? No, I think uh it's not one of my favorites. It's 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 okay. Uh but yeah, um nah, that's it. Yeah, I remember seeing him on Solid Gold. Marilyn McCool introduced Ozzy Osbourne and sang Bark in the Moon on Solid Gold. That's another thing I remember. Wow. I remember uh, that shit. Wow. Yeah. Let's uh all right, so let's go on to in fact let's do this. We got like we said, Bark of the Moon encompasses basically 83, 84. Let's do two uh, Iron Maiden albums back-to-back. Um, let's start with 1983. we got Peace of Mind. Yeah. Dirty, go ahead and start it off. What do you think of Peace of Mind? Classic. Uh, just, it's it's like, it just, it, like, it, the notches, or, you know, it starts off solid. Um, it just, like I said, it just goes further. Um, it just... Like I said, it's like more swashbuckling uh, metal. Uh, they're full on, like War Eagles, Dares, classic, uh, you know, Flight of Icarus. I can, um, I always remember it because the lyrics and I, you know, it was like my first, uh, first learning about it, the story of Icarus. Um, the other thing I love about Iron Maiden is like, you know, you could tell whoever wrote the lyrics or may- maybe all of them, they're fans of like, of classic horror, um, you know, or, you know, they talk about war, but they, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's a different approach. Uh, but their shit is like, you know, interesting and you can look up, you know, uh, the different song titles and, and check it out and, uh, learn things, you know, so. Uh, no, it's a great album. Uh, Revelations is good. Flight Acres, like I said, is good. Die with their boots on, just classic. Uh, st- all of it. Still Life, uh, Quest for Fire. I-, I like them all, man. I just think it's a good album. It's just one of those, you know, I grew up listening to it. It was like, it was like the first, first Maiden album I got into. Um, then, you know, it was Number of the Beast for, you know, after that, but this one is, fucking classic um everybody was rocking you know wearing iron maiden shit they were fucking huge they started to blow up really big um i had a hat of you know with the flaps in the back uh yeah man it's just it's just like you know there it's the it's one of the heydays of like heavy metal in the 80s it's it's just uh it sets the, the tone and standard for what you're supposed to achieve as a band and your sound, like they're just fucking limit, you know, limitless, just fucking going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, peace of mind. Introduction of Nico McBrain. You can tell on the first song where Eagles Dare. He's doing that thing I was talking about. Where he's like um, a little bit light on the hi hat. He's doing more of the ride, and it really accentuates the uh, the music together. Uh, rather than having the hi hat make so much, you know, can you dirty? You know, like with there's too much symbols. If there's too much symbols. The drummer is using too much cymbals. It, it gets a little loud. It gets a little, you know, it's, I know production-wise it's probably harder to mix those together, but Nico McBrain here definitely sends Iron Maiden into a different stratosphere of technical ability. Uh, and it was a good point about they definitely are historians, uh, whether it's Greek mythology or American history and Run to the Hills. Uh, I believe that's about Native, American natives. Right, um, yeah. And, uh, or whether it's about the pyramids or Egyptians, or they get into that a little bit more on the next record, Power Slave. Uh, Steve Harris II. is World War II, Genghis Khan, different worlds, uh, different explorers, different conquerors. 
Um, he's definitely a historian, and he definitely reads his material before he puts out his lyrics. Uh, on this record, this was the first record that I got or heard from Iron Maiden. I remember being in the car with my mom, and I heard Flight of Icarus on WAAF in Worcester, Massachusetts, um, a big uh, a big radio station, not as good as our favorite, KNAC, which is the the king of all radio stations, in my opinion, and Dirty, I, I know we've talked about that before, but this was my first introduction to Iron Maiden, peace of mind. I got the tape when this came out, and when it first came out, I was like, I listened to the first side, and I never really listened to the second side quite as much, but it's got, um, this is when I was nine years old. Now, it's got your, your differences of music as far as what I was saying before, Dickinson and Adrian Smith writing Flight of Icarus, Steve Harris writing... Uh, Where Eagles Dare, and he also wrote The Trooper. I love Still Life is one of the rare ones written by Dave. Dave Murray usually writes one or two, at least like one per record, and it usually has a different sound to it. I love the sound of Still Life. It's definitely different. It's got a little bit more of a dreamy sound to it. and definitely a difference in there. When, when when you have a band like that that has multiple writers, it just enhances the overall sound rather than if this was all in Paris. Um, overall, with Peace of Mind, I, I think it's maybe not quite as good. I actually have re sort of modified my opinions. I've, I've been on this big, huge Iron Maiden kick the last couple of days and listened to them ad nauseum to the point where I don't want to hear Bruce Dickinson for a while after we do this episode. But um, I used to think that really Peace of Mind and Somewhere in Time were the two best recordings. I've changed my mind a little bit on Peace of Mind and that I think Number of the Beast is a little bit better, and I think that Power Slave is a little bit better as well. They're all very, very good. So we're not talking about bad versus good. We're talking about really good versus really, really good. So um, when you talk about Bark at the Moon, uh, we'll compare it to Power Slave after this, but Comparatively, I would put Bark at the Moon a little bit ahead of Peace of Mind as far as material. Whoa. I do like Whoa. it better. Whoa. Oh, yeah. That's yep. saying a lot, man. Well, we got some big opinions here. <laughs> we are voicing some yeah. big opinions here. Hey, anybody out there, email us if you want. You want your opinion on this? We, we ha- we're happy to do polls. We can do a poll. We'll put your, you know, the results of this. Who do you like more? Put in your opinion. Ozzy versus... Iron Maiden, it's it's a big uh, a big thing for you know if this was back in the day, if this was 1985 when we were discussing this, there'd be fighting words. Oh my God, yeah, those those two sides would be, I mean, two of the biggest uh, musical acts at the time, especially with metal. With fans right. have really strong opinions. Maiden fans are just uh, nonstop hardcore, huge Maiden fans, and, and you think you've seen Maiden fans in America, in the UK, they are, um, I'm telling you, in the 1980s, by, by the way, Number of the Beast went to number one. Ozzy right. technically has never had a number one record, I don't think in the UK or the US, but they've all sold millions. I mean, Ozzy sold millions in America, two, four, five million per record. Right. But Number of the Beast went to number one, and Peace of Mind, I believe, went to number two. It, it, it's this whole long chart of Iron Maiden Topping, I think they had three number ones within ten years in England. They were yeah. they were as big as any any of the eighties UK artists. Duran Duran, 
Culture Club, all those bands that were, uh, hell, you could put Madonna, any American act in there. In England, Iron Maiden was, was as big or bigger than all of them. They were huge yeah. in that decade yeah. in the UK. Um, so before we go forward, uh, how are we doing on time? Uh, fine. I mean, are we at like an hour though? We're at like an hour, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, so we're going to have to, we might have to make this two parts because we're only halfway, maybe not even halfway done with this. And right. um, it's not going to be able to fit on YouTube if we do more than an hour and 15 minutes. We have to have this on YouTube. So let's do Power Slave. After that, um, can you do a second segment here? We'll try to go through it maybe quicker than the first one. But, Dirty, do you have time to do a second segment before we leave today? Uh, yeah, I think so. We got I got a thing at at three my time, so. Oh shit! Okay, well it's it is eleven o'clock your time, right? Right. Okay, so it'll just be maybe an extra. We'll stop here in fifteen minutes, and then we just need an extra hour. Um, and we'll go through as quickly as possible. Um, all right, so let's go to um, Power Slave again. Again, Bark of the Moon takes up two slots. Let's go to Power Slave, then we'll have to stop and do a part two. We will re- release these together as one, but we're going to have to put them in two, two segments. Okay, uh, Dirty, start it off, man. What do you think of uh, – I know what you think of Power Slave. Tell the people what you think of Power Slave. Uh, it's their uh, best album ever, hands down. Um, I totally got into it. Uh, just blew my mind. Um, great songs, uh, memorable lyrics, uh, great rhythm guitar. Uh, great, great drums. Love the bass. Um, I used to, I used to, they were on, um, Friday night videos back in the day. I think it was in a NBC show. That was the highlight of a lot of kids. They, you know, that was their, if you didn't have MTV, you'd watch Friday night videos. They were actually on Friday night videos. Uh, I think, I believe with two minutes to midnight. Um, they're, you know, they're discussed. It was like, for me, it was like an introduction to, you know, it was the first time anything had really, you know, grow up in America and with World War II, you hear all about, you know, the American troops, but Maiden were very proud British. Uh, you know, they, they're very proud, uh, British dudes. Um, and so, you know, you have, I think it was, uh, um, What's his name? Uh, who was the guy that did the introduction that spoke? Um, Winston Churchill. They had that. Uh, oh, yeah, two, great. Two Minutes to Midnight. Uh, great song. Uh, let's see. And then uh, what else? Uh, God, the album art, artwork. You know, Iron Man, one of the other thing I like about them is like uh, – you know, it was like very few bands, maybe like Dio, uh, Parliament, Funkadelic, where they not only was the music good, but like they had, you know, their, the artists for who did uh, Maiden's album covers became like I think popular as well, because uh, he really painted everything and like just when I, I just loved it. Uh, talking about you know Egyptian, uh, you know, culture and uh, it, they just man, they just go off. Um, Oh yeah, Ace is high. Uh, lost for words. 
good flash of blade is a is a classic uh you know guitar song power slave rhyme of the ancient mariner another another song that you know you could research it and you know it's a great story um back in the village i think that's still re- regard uh, referring to like the egyptian theme um and then that and then that tour and the live setup i was never fortunate enough to go my mom was like you know she was super you know i grew up i grew up irish catholic so my mom freaked out about all this heavy metal shit uh threw away my dio poster which i got i had a temper tantrum but um power slave man i mean there's so many aspects to it. It's like they weren't just a heavy metal band. Like they could have come up with a comic book because it was like so, so just out there and, and imaginative. It was like you know they could have Bruce Dickinson could have become could have become like a, an author and start writing fantasy because their shit is fucking good. And uh, the Dulles, oh the whole album, man. I I go on like it just to this day, um, you know. It's it's fucking classic. Uh, the color scheme is badass. Uh, there were like these custom vans you could buy. I think 2009 they put out a custom Iron Maiden uh, Power Slave pair of shoes, and it fucking was badass. Like ah, I could go on forever, dude. They just they're so good. Like nothing like that. I I I know it had a big influence on metal too. Like just in general, and that was such a big tour. And then you had the live album after that. Which it got live after death, fucking great artwork. You know, uh, I watched, I own the the video, so I watched it all the time. Um, you know, and it was special to me because like they filmed it, I think in Long Beach, and at the time I grew up in L.A., so Long Beach was like a hop, skip, and a turd from where I lived, and so it's like knowing like, oh, they're fucking, they were like in the vicinity. Uh, you know, if you lived in L.A., and it was like fucking wild, man. They just. Oh. Just classic, fucking classic, classic, uh, classy, classic metal. This fucking, the, 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 uh, the, the fucking, I don't know, this, this great. I can't, can't put a lot of words to it. It's enough to describe it, but. Hmm. Somehow, when I was a kid, Power Slave escaped me. I didn't hear a lot of this. To my friends, I don't know. Remember any of my friends really that had this record? Uh, obviously, Iron Maiden. Uh, I, mean, I didn't hear too much of them on the radio. Which is oh no, no. I mean, you didn't really hear a lot of Iron. They were never a big single never. band or radio never. band. Even never. though I did hear, that's how I bought Peace of Mind because of Peace of Flight of Icarus. So I actually went through and listened to the whole record um, either yesterday or the day before. And, yeah, I think this is a little bit of an improvement from Peace of Mind. I think it's a great record. I would put this one as an advantage, 1984, for Iron Maiden, because I do think that's a little bit better than Bark at the Moon. Uh, when you talk about – and I remember Vice City playing Vice City, listening to Two Minutes to Midnight. Really? And Bark at the Moon by Ozzy. Yeah, that's on the heavy metal station if you turn through the – Oh, my God. If you're driving, if you go through the stations. So oh. Two Minutes to Midnight, another – Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson song. Bruce Dickinson huh. is starting to uh, write a few songs on his own, too. He did write Revelations off Peace of Mind. He wow. actually wrote, uh, including the guitar riff, Flash of the Blade. The Flash of the Blade, really cool guitar riff, a cool song. He wrote the whole thing himself. Um, wow. Steve Harrison wrote, uh, Steve Harris wrote Aces High. 
Um, the Duelist is good. Uh, Lost Words good. Instrumental. Well, I think huh. and Power Sleep, Power Sleep is very good too. I, I I was so surprised. Like when I look at a record, this goes back to like seventies, the seventies, because when you not only for the album art because it's in the seventies, you had some whacked out album art was such a huge thing because an album was big. Once it gets down to tape, people it seems like in the eighties didn't pay as much attention to it, but Iron Maiden did. Um, the other thing is these big long. 12, 13 minutes, you know, I'm used to listening to Almond Brothers for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Long 15-minute yeah. jams and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. The difference is, is when you listen to the Almond Brothers to a 15-minute jam, it was all based off of the same rhythm, just different lead players doing different leads, and it got kind right. of boring for me. I love the Almond Brothers, but I don't need a 20-minute jerk-off session with, with guitar solos right. or drum solos or whatever you have it. Um, right. But Wine of the Ancient Mariners. I set out to, when it was started, I'm like, God damn, this is 13 minutes and 45 seconds. Right. And I remember listening to it, and when it ended, I'm like, what, it's over now? Like, right, I, was, yeah. I was unhappy that I was, I'm like, I wanted more. There's so many time changes in that, so many different riffs. And that's, yeah. that's all Steve Harris. The guy is so prolific with his output. I mean, year after year. And you, people think about, you talk about being a rock star, uh, it's all one big vacation. No, that guy no. must have trained so hard to get as good as he is, number one. Number two, all of the reading the guy must have done for all of his lyrics. Number three, the Power Slave tour, after doing Iron Maiden, after doing Killers, after doing Number of the Beast, peace of mind, right. year after year, the Power Slave tour lasted 331 days, and they played 187 shows in three right, right. days. That's more than a show every other day. Right. Can you imagine? And, and they're not playing the simple little like no, you know Coliseum rock. I mean, this is like this is uh, interpretive, like technically sound uh, prog metal. They're really getting into right. the prog metal uh, part. Yeah. And I, I think it is a, a very very good album. Um, I guess that's, I think that's that's about as all I have to say about it. But it's this is the middle of of their heyday and. Right. Um, it's and to me, we will. I think we'll we'll, we'll argue about this on the next one. It still gets better. I think it still gets better from here. But um, we're gonna have. We are at an hour and fifteen minutes, so we're gonna have to start. Uh, we're gonna have to stop here, restart, um, and finish this segment because we've got more to go over here. Again, we will release both of these parts as one. They'll just be in separate uh, episodes, but we'll release them together anyway. Uh, Dirty, please give me a, a call back. We'll finish this up, okay? All right. Excellent. Okay.